Hello everyone, this is Aaron from the Who's Anime Is It Anyway podcast. I just wanted you all to know that all rights are reserved for Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood by Studio Bones, Madman Entertainment, Hiromu Arakawa, and Hiroshi Onogi, as well as composer Akira Senju. I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome to the Who's Anime Is It Anyway podcast, where everything is made up and the score doesn't matter. I am your host, Aaron. This is my first episode of a long time, hopefully long time podcast, in which I have a friend on the show who serves as my co-host for the day and talks about one anime that is close to them. That's right, though, the score doesn't matter, even though we go over it, much like Mina and her dog don't matter to her own box. So... With me today is a longtime friend and introductory anime specialist, a man with a heart of gold, a descendant of Dracula, and a fatal flaw, which makes him the perfect anime hero. Uh, his name is David. How are you, David? I'm doing well, Aaron. Thank you for having me on the show today. And I have to say, I, I really appreciate the introduction. If you want to find out more to my backstory, for those of you listening, you'll have to watch my, my show about this fatal flaw. But uh, but how you doing, man? It's been it's been a while. Obviously, we've uh, we're all kind of sitting at home. It's been uh, busier some weeks than others. I have to say, from a professional standpoint, I've been able to be involved in a lot of projects on work, so that's been a good challenge in that regard. But from a personal standpoint, despite coronavirus, the adjustment wasn't that. Uh, wasn't that bad? Wasn't that difficult? And I have to say, within this period that we've been on quarantine, I have been watching a lot of media, a lot of shows, uh, a lot of great content. So I, I certainly have been spending my time wisely, some would say. So the Others problem would say is, I've been procrastinating, but you know, neither here nor there. Well, I know you've been procrastinating watching any other anime than the one we're talking about today, which is for those who don't know, it's going to be Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Um, I, I like the first one a little bit, but everyone prefers Brotherhood. It's the number one ranked anime on my anime list, I'm fairly certain still, um, and something that's near and dear to everybody's hearts, but also Gavin's first anime, right? It is. I, I lost my V card for anime when it was suggested to me by a very close and personal friend who happens to be the host of said podcast. And I had exposure to anime before, watching episodes of Dragon Ball Z and, and Naruto here and there, but it wasn't anything consistent and it wasn't something that I, I was really devoted to until starting with Full Metal Alchemist. And I had conversations with friends of, you know, which anime to, to start with or, or where to look for shows on, on certain streaming platforms. And this seemed to be the best place to start. And it was far more than I would have expected when I clicked play on the first episode. 
So we'll go into the first episode later because I actually have a problem with the way that the show starts off with. But I know that you uh, you got an anime on rec- based on recommendation. I don't want to say that I'm responsible for it because that makes how it conceded. But I, I have been watching anime since I was 13, if you don't count Pokemon, which I don't. Um, no, no problem with Pokemon as an anime. It's just... I have to say, I kind of, I kind of like that you say that, you know, because I think there's a distinction between a traditional anime and Pokemon. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Dragon Ball Z and Naruto are completely separate things just because, from Pokemon, I should say, just because they're made for, you know, more teenage audience. Even though I love Avatar The Last Airbender, it's not technically an anime, so I don't count that as well. Even though I would throw it on a top, you know, 50 or 60 lists of anime of all time. But the difference between you and me is I started when I was 14, 13 or 14, and I started with Naruto after I had watched my cousin watch it for years and never really got into it because I was just watching it playing Pokemon all the time. And then I, and then in middle school, I was like, okay, I like the I like the protagonist. You know, he's a downtrodden guy who gets made fun of all the time, and I resonate with that. So I got into the show and the benefit to you, which I'm a bit jealous of, is you are getting into anime when it's cool and everybody watches it versus when I got into it, I had to keep it on the down low and like wink, wink, nudge, nudge people in high school to figure out who was part of the community or not. And then everything started to open up. So I, uh, I hope you know that you're part of the, the new wave of college and, and later college anime doesn't have to experience all that. I, I have to say I'm, I'm fortunate. The way uh, I talk about it with uh, another one of my friends who's currently in Japan teaching English, and, and he's also a heavy anime watcher, true genuine fans of uh, anime and, and those who read the manga are ones who really appreciate the content. And, and you had to go through that struggle. Uh, yeah, you had to keep this, this passion uh, hidden. <laughs> In a way, it, 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 I have to say I am privileged in, in that regard, being able to get in on the wagon and, and the hype that is with anime currently. Well, I would say it all goes downhill from here since you watched everybody's favorite anime, essentially. But I think there are better shows. I don't want to start any fights saying what I think is better, but I'll talk about that on a, at a later date. <clears throat> Hunter, Hunter. Okay, well, you didn't have to say it, but I appreciate you dropping that. It's a spoiler. We do talk a lot about nerdy stuff in general. Um, I think being nerdy is no longer like an issue. Um, you know, for example, most of the time, like when I was going through high school, and the people that I found that liked anime were also all guys that I played sports with. So then, once I started to bridge that gap, like I found other people that also liked the stuff that I liked, like Pokemon and anime. And comic books and whatnot that didn't play sports but were friends of other friends that I had and ancillary friends and whatnot and formed a close bond with those people but I think like a majority of my friends you know at least from high school and college have at least seen one show which I think is interesting because a lot of people you know a lot of different podcasts I've listened to and a lot of different you know, YouTube channels and whatnot I talk about it like you know I had one friend that watched One Piece in middle school that was the only friend I had until I got to like after college. And I was like, well, I don't really identify with that. You were, that's like the pre like 2003, like uh, I went to college and 
you know, 10, like 08 to 2012. And nobody was, you know, now everybody's cool enough to actually watch, you know, quote unquote, cool enough to actually watch anime and not give, give a shit about anything else. But um, that's I the. Would say, uh, I would say to that, Aaron, I was aware and I knew of uh, several series of anime in middle school and high school, but I didn't have the right kind of exposure to it and of the series that I did watch were more live action or drama series or some science fiction here and there, but never really stepping my foot into anime. Of course, I, I watched, as, as we mentioned, Avatar The Last Airbender, and that was a favorite series of mine during my childhood, but I didn't have that kind of exposure to proper anime and, and being able to attribute that to the original source material. And I yeah. think having the connections or friendships that I had in college specifically is what really opened that door. Because in, in middle school and in high school, it's almost, uh, I want to say, like a, a taboo to talk about anime because it's too nerdy. Uh, dare I say as big of a taboo as uh, human transmutation, but you know, you'd be the judge of that. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, anime is human transmutation, you know, can <laughs> confirm. No, because and, and it's just like I, I love that now we're in a um, cultural environment and where more people are accepting and also open to that sort of material. <laughs> also open to uh, reading subtitles, right? And, and being able to uh, broaden their horizons when it comes to the content that they watch. And, and the moment they do that, it's just like a, a whole world out there, many worlds in which you can reap that enjoyment. And that is what I can say is seeing my first anime and, and being able to watch from that Yeah, so I think, the, I think you touched on a note that I think is important with people that watch anime, especially that are our age, I mean, maybe a little bit older, a little bit younger, but, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender is a great door into getting into anime. You know, it's one of my favorite shows, and it's been recently put on Netflix, which has been an absolute godsend. Also, if you haven't yet watched Legend of Korra, um, then if you are a big Star Wars fan like you and I are, which obviously I'm really putting myself out there and how much I'm of a nerd I am. Because not only can I tell you every single Pokemon that ever exists up in, through Generation 7, I can probably write, rewrite every single script as I would like it for Star Wars and know all the characters of the Clone Wars and Rebels as well as, as, well as you do. Um, which I think, you know, having that Some kind might of, say this is a fatal, fatal flaw, but uh, you and I don't have the same fatal flaw. Unfortunately, <laughs> your fatal flaw has nothing to do with anime and manga and cartoons and, and video games and whatnot. Unfortunately, my fatal flaw doesn't happen to impede your fatal flaw. <laughs> no, um, no, it does not. But, you know, I know we've had a lot of conversations about the Clone Wars and about Rebels and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I think naturally for you, which is why I wanted to push you so far into anime. You know, you had a background in Americanized, you know, cartoon-based shows that were, mm -hmm. you know, designed for an older audience, but not quite, you know, past 18. Even though Avatar and, and the Star Wars shows are, you know, tra they transcend age ranges, that is, you know, the essence of anime is being able to give a message that transcends 
how old you are, as well as keep you interested in the show, which leads us into the greatest anime possibly to ever exist, depending on who you ask. <clears throat> um, not me, though. <laughs> uh, Full Metal Alchemist, which you kindly touched on that first episode. I'm going to talk about it from my perspective, because I watched it a little bit earlier than you you did and then i want to you know i want to get you your thoughts on watching that first episode because of the way i think about it every time i've recommended full metal alchemist i've told people to get through two episodes because the first episode really throws you into the show and you're like kind of supposed to know who who the brothers are as well as like kind of what's going on in some of the characters as well as like you know a little bit of the plot just because they I feel like they expect they expected everyone who to watch the original Full Metal, Full Metal Alchemist and then to like somehow get into Brotherhood. But on top of that, they have those kind of goofy instances where like the animation completely changes and Alphonse does something super weird, like he's like super wavy, even though he's a right, like a side cut scene. Of, yeah, you know when it's like an inner monologue. Yeah, like yeah. an inner monologue, like talking about the situation. I'm just like, how do I? actually you know how do i actually um do this if or how do i actually recommend this to people and have to tell them that they have to watch 40 40 episodes or not 40 episodes 40 minutes of ep- of like episodes and like just get through the first 25 minutes and you're gonna love it after the first 40 you know 45 but not the worst thing i've ever done because there's a show that i really liked in high school called Kentucky hitman reborn that I tell, tell people, just get through the first 20 episodes and it'll be great. Well, really? You, you, have, mean, you have to have context and backstory. So if you, it's not great, you're going to have to filter through and then you'll get to the goal. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious on like when I when I recommended that to you and you watched that first episode, what were your thoughts going into the rest of the show after you watched that? It's a really great question because episode one, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, oh, being opened up to this world and really surprised at what it had to offer. I didn't have that initial reaction from episode one. You know, this is in hindsight after seeing the entirety of the story and, and understanding all the arcs. But episode, the first episode, I uh, was a bit overwhelming, not really sure all that was going on and I was still trying to understand alchemy. It, it was interesting in which the story took place at that point in time because it did, did I miss like a did I miss an intro or did I like skip a few episodes? Am I on the right episode here? Yeah, because exactly. You, you're just thrown into this uh, in, intense chase and battle, and you're like trying to figure out what's going on in in a sense. And yeah. I would say that's more so what kept me watching after episode one was okay. Like I'm trying to understand who these two Elric brothers are. I, I'm I'm waiting for the episode where I can I can see more of that backstory or you know how they have their auto mail. What even is auto mail? And and understanding that piece. Yeah, and I think like you just found out that this this boy lost his brother's body while he was trying to transmute his mother. Like they do this whole introduction thing where he loses an arm, he loses an leg, and you're like, oh man, this is absolutely tragic. And then the next thing you see is this dude throwing ice walls around the city like it's nothing. And you're like, where did everything go? Like, what? We just jumped to like him being 15 and, and throwing 
just dudes throwing ice walls at them and, and everybody else and trying to destroy the city. You know, you get introduced to a couple of like some of the major side characters and whatnot. You're like, I don't know if this guy's important, but I guess he's here. Like, should I be excited? I maybe. What? <laughs> I'll find out. But where did where did the last seven years go? You bring up such a good point too, because uh, when I was seeing Alphonse for the first time, I'm like trying to understand what exactly is his state of being like how does that work you know and, and trying to understand uh, after that introduction what does that even mean and and trying to put together what this uh, notion or mention of a philosopher's stone is and then having because I'm, I'm uncommon or uh, unknown to this name having a character whose name is fear like, yeah, I haven't yeah. heard that in a while since yeah. uh, since the history in high school. Yeah. All of a sudden you get thrown this name like Fuhrer King Bradley and he's slicing people people up and you're like, the last Fuhrer I knew definitely didn't do this, but sure. That and that Fuhrer sure had a lot of wrath. Yeah. Yeah. That that was like that was the definitely the thing that threw me off at first too. I was like, is this okay? Should, Should they I really be watching this? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm watching this at my age, you know. Yeah. You watched it much younger. I was, you know, I was going through world history and, and U.S. history. I was like, I don't think the use of Führer is the best possible choice for names for a leader of a country in the 2000s. You know, even at any other point, like maybe 1800s. You know, before you know every the famous fear but like i don't know if it's this should be allowed <laughs> to be honest um and then he slices the dude up and you're like oh okay like this dude means this dude means business and even though he spoiler alert the entire show would have ended if this dude encased central on ice so you're just thinking this man's crazy he's going to tell me a little bit about equivalent exchange for no reason at all other than to push the idea of alchemy for and then he's going to die at the hands of the, at the, hands of the leader of the country. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, and I want to go back to that point you made of this spoiler alert and freezing a mistress in, in ice, essentially. Because I, I keep going back to this of what happened to McDougal. And I honestly don't think it, it would have had much of an effect. I don't think one individual, McDougal, even though he had a philosopher's would have been able to take on father and take on the other homunculi. I think while he uncovered this plot, I really question how far he would have been able to get because I think there was still a lot that he didn't even know himself. Yeah, he is one of those people that like just immediately reacted to something he found out instead of trying to plan something and actually get some people on his side. And maybe you know show some evidence to some other upper individuals. Like I'm sure Mustang would have jumped in on that if he actually knew what McDougal was talking about. And McDougal went to the one guy, and the one guy he went to was the craziest person in the entire military who's locked away. So you had an option, you had a choice. You could have really done the thing if you wanted to, but you just decided to act and get the crate and get basically the Joker of Full Metal Alchemist on your side, and then he turns you down. Uh, that's actually a very apt description. Some men just want to see the world burn. It, it was one of those, you know, it's one of those comparisons that um, that you see between shows and between media 
and you know drawing from different characters that I think is the best for uh, Kimberly. And so you know he he functions as like the guy that wants to just you know slaughter people without having any repercussions. And that seems to be the Joker. But yeah, that's the first episode, and it really just throws you into everything that you don't know about. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like, it does want to make you know more, and that's why I continue to watch more as well. But it is a bit of a shit show. It, it is. It's interesting you bring that up because my cousin was actually uh, being suggested and, and recommended uh, to watch and, and get into anime as well. She hasn't seen uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, even though that's not a traditional anime. And I was you know, giving the same advice that was imparted on to me, to her, and, and she had a similar conversation with other friends who were suggesting to get into anime as well. And I think for her, it, it was the same uh, difficulty of, of getting into certain shows. I believe that uh, she started out, she tried to watch Full Metal, but wasn't really getting into it, then went to uh, Attack on Titan, seemed to have a better interest in, in that. But I think for people who are looking to get into anime and they're looking for a, a series to start with, you may be a bit taken back, let's say, if you were to watch the first episode of Full Metal. But there's rewards for having perseverance and patience and, and wanting to understand more about that story, like you said. Yeah, 100%. No, it's the, it's the good thing about anime, and not every show is going to drag you into it on the first episode. Not like every book is going to drag you into it within the first chapter. And, you know, every movie is not going to be good within the first like, 15 minutes. Like, you know, there's countless variations of it in, in the creative media. I think it you know, holds true in anime. I think that like the greater plot is something that is one of the best in all of you know movies, books, and and shows, as well as obviously anime. But you know they touch on a variety of different topics in each episode that you know range from from genocide to, to civil war to government cover up to you know family issues to class you know, issues class issues to military control to you know absentee fathers and, and being raised by somebody that's not a family member socioeconomical socio-political cultural yeah. there's so many facets to this show really yeah. like to say science and the, the lengths that people are willing to go to which is religion you know that's the and and that's one of the overarching you know, themes is, is science and religion and, and what religion does to people and what science does to people and the pros and cons to all, all of that and how it all intermingles. I mean, you know, if you, you go through... You see a physical representation of that, Aaron, now that you bring that up. And when you talk about science and religion yeah. within Full Metal, you see those who are in pursuit of knowledge and understanding from a scientific aspect and you see those that are devout and are pious in the sense of looking to achieve some sort of spiritual awakening and and you see that on both ends and it's such an interesting dichotomy in this series yeah and it ties together like the the embodiment of god is responsible for alchemy and the distribution of truth and for Ishvalans, like their tattoos have significant meaning 
and allow them to practice a separate form of alchemy. And then you have then you have alchemistry, which is you know based on Eastern philosophy and thought in the real world that is much different than alchemy, but follows a, a general base practice, which I'm assuming, which comes from the earth. You know, they talk about ley lines and, and the, the vein of the dragons and, and whatnot. And all that ties into the science of the show, which is equally as interesting considering that science was started by religion in, in our history as a society. And I think that it does a perfect job of tying that all together. And it even showcases, you know, in, in those first couple of episodes, your heretics and your you know, your priests that think they know everything in the world and are secretly just screwing over the people that believe in their in their um, sermons and whatnot. So it's, they touch on, they grab you with this this idea of God and, and human transmutation of the soul. And then they throw at you within the first couple episodes, a heretic who is abusing the idea of alchemy to make people mm-hmm. believe in the sun God, you know, which is a Dark Souls thing outside of Full Metal Alchemist, you know, not sponsored by Dark Souls. Anyway, that in the first two episodes, I mean, it's a dynamic 64 episode show. There's no episode that you can skip that there's not something that advances a plot or a subplot. You know, there's no filler. So it's easy. It's hard not to talk about every single episode, episode by episode, which we're not going to do just because I don't know. I don't know how much time we have to do this. You can make a whole podcast on full metal which is what we're doing alchemy but we're not going to talk about it episode by episode but i know you i know you care about like philosophy and religion so i know you probably share the same or a similar idea of the like that part of the show with me and probably why it interested me i i would agree with that aaron in when starting the series like i mentioned before it was more than I was expecting. On on one hand, it, it was uh, tackling more mature content, but on the other hand, uh, dealing with these like complex uh, narratives that you don't really see in any other series. So, like you mentioned, under seeing a visual representation of heresy and then understanding that. Not to mention, you have the Elric brothers, which I I think this is what makes the series so relatable in a sense is we're presented with this notion especially being young that we always have to fight to have some sort of a standing or respect or understanding from adults and and we see that as one struggle within the series for the Elric brothers always having to prove themselves in in a way even though they especially Ed He's a full metal alchemist, but yet time and time again, uh, you see him overlooked mainly because uh, Alphonse is considered the full metal alchemist in a mistress. I mean, he is full metal. He is full metal. Right. It, it's in the name. You, you walked into that one, Ed. You walked yeah. into that one. Of course. But it's, it's interesting because on one hand, we as viewers <laughs> get to relate to Ed and, and to Alphonse finding our inner youth and adolescence out of them, but at the same time, having to deal with certain responsibilities and being thrust, but not always being 
respected or considered with that regard. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. No, I think I think you hit everything on the head there, especially with you know in regards to Eggs and Alphonse's um, maturity, even though they're relatively young and the stuff that they've had to go through as well as what they've experienced. And I think that that ties into like the discussion of, you know, key episodes that everybody kind of, you know, relates to or talks about when they think about the show. And I think that first one that everybody talks about is the show or is the um, episodes of Shao Tucker and his daughter and his daughter's dog, which we all know and love as Mina and we obviously all you know for those who have seen the show know what happens with them which is unfortunate but you know Ed and Al as you're talking about are are met with this you know very young girl who they kind of now have to look over to look after while they're looking into different variations of alchemy to restore Alphonse's body back and um Alexander's the dog I was blanking on the dog. But you know, they they you know act as older brothers to this this girl who you know kind of embodies all of the immaturity and there's another word that I'm looking for. Um spirit. vulnerability spirit, but um you know she hasn't grown up, she doesn't know what it's like to lose, you know, she lost her mother, but she was really too young to remember and and all she really knows is this, this massive dog and this this dad that she loves and unconditionally unconditionally and you know the dad turns the dog and his daughter into a chimera and Ed and Al lose you know the first thing outside of you know Winry and, and her grandmother that they've loved wholeheartedly in a while and to watch them see as their de- her own father has taken away her, you know, her entire life just for his pursuit of, of science. It says a lot about, you know, the world as a whole and, and what that means to these two characters that, you know, tried human transportation and obviously failed, but didn't do it. It's almost an abuse to a family member. Partially science, but we also have to uh, take into consideration where that pressure was coming from, coming from the state, coming from uh, a mistress to continue his research, otherwise he would lose his status. And we get to this point in which a comparison is, is made. And and that, I think, is what really hits home for, for Ed on, on so many levels, but we don't see it come into recollection or full circle until much later in, in the story, because both were willing to uh, break all, all moral boundaries or norms in order to get what they wanted, whether yeah. that be for good intentions or bad intentions. And I think like the, the conversation about the state and what the state wants and what the state is forcing Shaw Tucker to do, uh, well, they didn't precisely force him to transmute his daughter and dog into a single being, but- This is true. He, you know, the the state is pushing people to discover things that would benefit the government. And all the while, like, the state is also harboring these laboratories that are, 
like going against the laws of alchemy just so that they can get some sort of upper hand on the world and life and whatnot, which, you know, ties into the greater conspiracy later down the line. But I think Shao Tucker is that introduction to Alphonse Edward of like how weird and kind of fugazi. I don't know if that's a what kind of term that is, but you know, uh, what the definition of that is, but you know, kind of messed up stuff that the state wants things to do, you know, uh, or wants their alchemists to do. And, and I think like, obviously they went through basically a genocide um, and that's part of the problem. But when, when you have a state that commits mass genocide and then also wants you to do a bunch of other stuff, like it's hard to, like I, I had an hour like, oh, wait a minute. Like maybe we shouldn't have become state alchemists. Like their, their commanding officer, uh, Mustang like is responsible for the death of numerous people and like burned them alive. That's absolutely insane. And and you kind of love this character as a whole and just trying to make up for everything that he did. But when I have state- to say, you know, I I wasn't necessarily uh, a fan of Mustang at first. You know, in, in the way my uh, initial reaction to him was you know here's somebody who's like rank in order and is someone who's very ambitious a thing is gonna stop at nothing to essentially become pure for a, a mistress and, and you see that in his conversation with Hughes after uh, they essentially wiped out Ishtar and I, I I would say in my initial uh reaction to that uh, conversation in that episode i was thinking you know how far can you really trust uh, mustang in in a sense yeah because he he seems that he will put his country or his job before anybody else yeah and and the problem with that is like at the time that the war dishfall happened he i don't want to make that an excuse for him because i have my own like i have my own feelings about how bad genocide and you know state-led racism which is an entirely other conversation that the full metal alchemist throws you into um especially at the time it was created when the united states and other countries were marching into middle eastern um middle eastern countries and ishval is looks middle eastern and is a representative of that and state government is marching into ishval so it's like okay well this seems like an exact representation of what's going on right now just a needless slaughter of the people for a goal and the goal for the yeah, I mean, for the united states and other you know countries was oil you know like russia and whatnot if you want to go into soviet russia pop like international policy and, and control but or if you even want to get into british empire and uh and nazi germany international um efforts but i think like that in and of itself and looking at mustang it's hard and I understand where you're coming from 100%. It's hard to put him in a positive light, especially at first. All you know is that he's a soldier who works for the government, who's telling Ed and Al what to do, not to do what they want to do, and has killed a bunch of people. It's like, how am I supposed to like this guy? <laughs> you know, what, what's redeeming? Riza Hawkeye, it, I guess? <laughs> Riza Hawkeye. And uh, I also, uh, you could say, uh, I, I think... 
he he shows a, a certain uh, spark or or has at least some semblance of of care and hope for those around him. Call it nepotism, if you will. But I I would say one of the redeeming aspects within that first introduction that we see to Mustang is that he is a very much about empowering the people around him and, and keeping a, a close-knit circle mm-hmm. and having that. And, and, I, and I can respect that. Yeah. I can definitely respect that. Yeah. So let's, let's bounce a little bit from, um, from Roy Mustang, which, you know, there's a conversation that'll, that'll kind of be developed further down the line. He's not so much of a major influence in the beginning of the series as he is later on, especially when they start really fighting homunculi. But, uh, but I think the thing you touched on earlier with Al is he is a body of armor and you don't really know what to expect. And they, they kind of touch on that idea when they go to the fifth like laboratory area, which I think one of the most messed up parts of the show is when um, you know Barry the Chopper and, and whatnot like are trying to tell Al that he is a creation of his brother and that he's not actually a real person. And it's like, you know, Al is thrown in this situation because he's, I don't know, he's 12. He's thrown in this situation where he's fighting a man who's a serial killer as an empty suit of armor. Both of them are. Who's like him. Who's, who's like, like him. him. The only other person he's ever met that's like him since he's been too young to remember. Mm-hmm. And this person is telling him that he is potentially a creation of his brothers just to keep his brother company. It's that question of like, do you exist? Yeah. Or is this a simulation? Like exactly. what is reality? Exactly. And he's 12. Like, I don't, he's just trying to take down the bad man, man. My, my reaction to that was just a, a lot of like pain and, and hurt seeing that unfold like seeing his seeing Alphonse mindset change from you know having this assured sense of himself diminished yeah and then the questioning uh questioning ed and and it's and it's it's hard to see because you really like the interaction between ed and al how close they are and and this is something that does uh to an extent uh, rock the boat and and it hurts in a way because you feel for for ed and like how could he think that you know he's just uh an attachment or a, a creation of him that he's not his own person yeah like he's done so much for his brother he's been trying to do so much for his brother and now all of a sudden his brother's like are you even am i even real and i should interject al is not 12 at this point he's 14 15. But if you remember your life at 14 to 15, like if somebody told you that you didn't exist and it's the only other person that you've ever met that is exactly like you, essentially, is like an empty suit of armor, I think I'd kind of question my own existence and like be angry about it at that time. Yeah, yeah. Who would you go to or like, you know, who could you trust? Nobody. Like nothing you, nothing you know at that point is real. You know, it, it flips your whole world upside down. Obviously, it's not true. And he ends up getting that, you know, getting that part of his life back. But, like, that moment, I was like, man, well, we've gone through a deceitful priest. We've gone through, you know, scientific ethics and the lack of empathy for your own family, as well as, like, a child losing their innocence. That's the word I was looking for. A child losing their entire innocence by being transmuted with a dog, essentially. 
state-led genocide. And then all of a sudden you're gonna throw in this 14, 15 year old who's gonna go through this entire midlife crisis all at once because he doesn't know he doesn't know who he is or what's going on because he's a teenager and he's a suit of armor with his soul inside of it. Like it could not be much worse. He takes it like an absolute baller, but it could not be much worse for this guy. Can't eat, can't sleep, no, can't feel. No, he has a book about things he wants to taste when he like finally gets his body back, not actually knowing when that's going to happen. Like if there's anything, if there's any single character that I should be like, wow, my life is actually decent. Like compared to this guy, it's Alphonse Elric. <laughs> Nobody knows struggle like him. And it's interesting you bring that up because it, it raises the question of like, are you you? without your body, like, would you be able to separate yourself from who you are and, and like, what that does to your own identity and understanding of yourself? It's crazy. It's absolutely wild. It's an absolutely wild character. And I think a lot of people don't have as much of appreciation for Alphonse as, you know, they should. Which I think they may treat him as, like, uh, this... Uh, moral compass in a way and, and people yeah. tend to overlook a moral compass in a series yeah uh, just like some may overlook Hughes to an extent but you can't overlook Hughes no you can't overlook Hughes and that's where I wanted to go into um, because you know as I said before like the first 10 episodes kind of throw everything at you and are some of the most important episodes in the show um outside of like I mean it's the introductory arcs essentially right also can we just like run that back and, and slow down just a bit? The fact that like some of the most saddest moments in anime history happen within the first 10 episodes. Just just think about that. Like that is, it's too much to weigh on. But for me, it's just like, I remember texting you the moment that I, I saw um, um because I, I binged nine episodes in a day on a yeah. Monday. Let it yeah. be known for the record. Yes, uh, which you should not have done because you have a lot of work to do. I usually. <laughs> right, right. Couldn't help myself. But episode nine. Okay, okay. So I'm, I'm getting some understanding with, uh, with, with Scar, and, and I'm getting more exposure to that. Then moving into episode 10 on Tuesday. Was not prepared. Was never prepared for that. And and I think that's, and, and this is more so to score, like when Hugh uncovers the, the link, uh, you could say, quote unquote. And I, it just, it kind of baffles me because I remember texting you immediately after this happened and just being devastated. Um, I can't imagine had I been younger watching this, like what, what that would have like had an effect or like weighing on my brain. Yeah. It's just. It's, it's unbelievable to me that within a series of 10 episodes, you have so much happening, but it doesn't detract from the story. It's no. just, it, I, I just think that's like really impressive and powerful because yeah. mainstream TV shows can't do that. No. And, and mainstream TV shows aren't able to, one, even write a good enough plot to be able to create a situation like that but just in general get away with it yeah no i i agree with you and i think like the beauty of anime is also tying that in with the, the 
whatever they use for like a specific superpower essentially you know like you can't do what alchemy does in live action you know i've seen them try and it's okay at best but like you just can't do it and you know tying in everything else with it it's nearly impossible and i know that they're in right obviously there's shows like game of thrones which you know the first one through seven seasons are pretty good and then the eighth season should be bad i mean the seventh season is arguably bad too but like we're not gonna talk but anime is able to go through an entire show no holds barred you know and touch on those topics and and have like key characters that you fall in love with and what I wanted to talk about was the introductory episodes of Husen and a little bit more of Winry, who is obviously best, you know, best girl. You know, Winry is it, like as a longtime anime fan, not as like in a weird way, but like as a girlfriend slash love interest to the main character. Wifey. Wifey. Winry is best girl. She's strong. She's intelligent. She has her own business, essentially. She helps out the um she helps out the the main character in repairing his automail because he's completely incompetent on that front which is not something i probably will dog part on but he refuses to leave people alone outside um she's mature and, she's and mature caring and caring under doesn't knows that she doesn't understand what ed and l are going through but is empathetic enough to where they to where they trust her and confide in her enough. Um, and, 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 and that allows her to be, you know, th- that person that they go to when there's nothing else, you know? I, I think she understands them more than, than most. And we see that through the multiple arcs because on, on one hand, she's family. And, and on the other hand, it's hard for Ed and Al to get close or have personal relationships with others because of all that they have to deal with and and trying to understand uh, what's happening around them, but also be responsible to a mistress because Ed is an alchemist, a state alchemist. And he has a role, he has a job, he has responsibility. And being at that age, now he's not able to be a kid or even have personal relationships and and you see that between Ed and Al in a lot of the interactions they they always have this wall up this guard up yeah and and they don't really know who to trust and they know that they can always go back home and so they always keep themselves at a distance from everybody almost except for Mina and Alexander and Hughes and Hughes's family and that's the first time you see Winry really get involved in the mistress affairs and really get involved in what Alan I do like for a living and whatnot is when she's visiting to repair the auto mail and gets involved and Hughes's family. And I think yeah, that's what, uh, Alicia's birthday party. Yeah. yeah, Alicia's birthday party. And I think like, you know, as small as it is, like a birthday party or um, you know, just just the appreciation of family and what he does as a father and what, you know, how he treats his wife and, and you know, regardless of what he did in as like a soldier, like it just, I mean, the humanity, you really care about this guy because he cares about literally everyone. He cares about the people in his life. And like how he, how he wants to show pictures of his daughter. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, like, like tearing up just thinking about it all over again. 
he's just like the overbearing. Now, see, that's the difference between you and I, because you've watched it once. I've watched it like four times. So I'm, I'm like, I've already shed my tears for this man. Here's our round four. That yeah. equivalent exchange there. It's done. Yeah, it's done. Oh, when you do it, when you watch it four times, you're like, all right, here comes Hughes. All right, he's back. Man, let's move on. Even though it's still a very sad moment in the show. Spoiler alert, Hughes dies. But, his wife's hand. His wife's hand. Yeah. So, you know, that's where you really start to see Mustang's character come out. And I didn't want to do like plot and character development and whatnot and, and just talk about everything. But that's really, you know, I talk about the score at the beginning of the podcast and, and I give this arbitrary score. Not, it's not arbitrary, I actually own the reasons I give a score for each show. And I've been doing this for a while, but like, you know, plot holds certain sections and character development holds when I started to write and when I started to really read to authors, talk about characters and what it means to introduce dynamic and static characters. Like Hughes is a static character. You know what he, he's going to do. He's not going to develop anything, but he's there for a reason. And he gets the point of the character of Hughes across without like straying too far from who he is and in what his position is. But um, I think that's where Mustang's character development and your beginning of appreciation for him starts to work in is when Hughes dies. And so like those three episodes introduce best girl, saddest death, and beginning of character development for a man who, you know, for all intents and purposes should be a worker and is working on a path to redeem himself from the state government. It, it reminds me of that scene where he's with the Hawkeye and they're at his grave and uh, he says to Rizza that it's raining and she's like no it's not and and you can see him shed a, a tear yeah and I, I think that just as as you said really marks kind of this this change in understanding and and where at a moment I was developing more respect for, for Mustang in that regard because of how deeply he cares about those around him. Uh, I think at, at that point I was still naive or, or not really addressing this notion of, no, he definitely like is a war criminal in, in essence. He's responsible as much as some of these other alchemists who were there during the civil war for the genocide of the Shaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, like, he's one crazy cell away from being Kimberly. <laughs> you know, like, Kimberly is the Crimson Alchemist, and he's known as that because he's killed a lot of people. Like, mm-hmm. Mustang is the Flame Alchemist because he uses flames, but, like, he's also killed a lot of people. So it doesn't, like, they're the same person, effectively, in terms of death's cause, except one wanted to do it because he enjoys killing people, and the other did it because he was following orders. You know, this is think- true, but I think, you know, if, let's say, Mustang had been given the Philosopher's Stone instead of Kimberly, yeah. maybe, you know, he would have turned out just like Kimberly in that situation. Maybe. That's an interesting thought experiment. Um, obviously, it's all just theory, but, you know, I, I like, I definitely like that idea that maybe that puts Kimberly in a new light, you know. Kimberly's not just there to be, like the Joker-esque asshole that killed a bunch of people, but essentially like an antithesis to, or a mirror reflection. Like if you wanted to make a Star Wars reference, like the difference between Ray and Dark Ray, 
in episode nine. You know, effectively, they're going down the same path, but one is not choosing it, essentially, and the other is embracing the dark side. I, I gotta say, though, the uh, dual-ended lightsaber montage... This is not a Star Wars podcast. I, this is... <laughs> I don't want it. I tried to I tried to dance around it because I knew if I mentioned Clone Wars and Rebels, we'd get into trouble. Couldn't, couldn't help myself. I, I, I couldn't help myself. Just just like greed. Just like All right, let's uh let's move along a little bit because we're we're you know there's obviously so much we can talk about. And you and I think about things in a very micro macro sense. So we're just gonna take so much time to talk about everything. Another introduction that's made in those first 10 episodes is Scar, and Scar's an equally important character to, to all these people because he isn't the villain, you know. He's, he's, a, he's a spirit of revenge, you know, in other shows much like Sasuke or, or Itachi or, um, you know, if you want to go into One Piece, like technically Luffy or anybody like that, but like those guys aren't obviously evil. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a spirit of revenge who's just trying to redeem his people and his family and his brother. And he, he obviously is like the secrets of a, a, not a forgotten um, alchemy, but, you know, something that is a holdover from a civil war that caused a lot of people to die. And, you know, the, the, the rest, the end of that, uh, like the history of the country. And he's a great character. And, but like, he's not the villain. And I never got that sense that he was the villain. At the time I was like, oh shit, he's killing people. This man is going to mess up some lives, but he doesn't kill anybody important to Ed and Al's life. And I think they well, did that. Oh, well, okay. They found out. <clears throat> okay, so I don't count Mina and Alexander as a death that counts to Ed and Al's life, mainly because their life was oh, already. Oh, because it was a mercy kill? Well, because their life was already over by the time that Scar got there. Yeah. And so. I meant more so Winry's parents, not... Oh, well, okay. I mean, he, much like he um, repents for his own sins, you know, much like Mustang. I mean, you could say he's the Mustang of the Ishvalan. He's very much an an anti-hero, right? And and that's a good point of of putting it like that. Because um, one of the things that Full Metal gets right is and making these very um, troubled or dynamic characters in, in such a way that uh, the best kind of villains are the ones who think they're heroes and and see virtue in what they're doing. And we see that with Scar, but there's also a redeeming uh, aspect and there's a justification to it to an extent. Mm-hmm. Because his people were wiped out, so he would not nothing more than to avenge his people and and you know making a, a solemn vow for that purpose. So it's it's interesting, um, kind of at first, you know that first introduction to Scar. I I wasn't really sure. Like I, I didn't think at first he'd be uh, such a major character or crucial to the plot. Same. But as more came to unfold and his relationship and seeing the role he would play, especially in regards to the homunculi, I it was I was I was surprised 
and I was definitely interested in, in learning more. I have to say, seeing the way in which you would use alchemy to destroy was very appealing, I have to say. Yeah, and it's perfect for his character. And that's and that's part of the thing that I think Fullmetal Alchemist does so well, is like their abilities are perfect to their characters and their development as characters, you know. And they, the author and creator, the author and creator does a wonderful job with that. And obviously it's all planned in this entire this is one of those shows where you're like, okay, they didn't make it up on the fly. Like, they wrote all of this out and did everything with a purpose because it's not like the people that at an Alphase are, you know, where it's like Dragon Ball or Naruto or something. They just get stronger and stronger and stronger and they appear out of nowhere, right? And then they give them no backstory. It's like, they're there. You know they're there. At an L just have to get better to beat them, but you kind of know where the top of the line is. Like, Fury King Bradley is the top of the line. Like, Mustang is the top of the line. You know, you kind of know who these people are, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, one's an alchemist, one's not an alchemist. Um, and then you're introduced, introduced to the homunculi. And you're like, okay, well, those alchemists are the top of the line. You have these villains who are able to go toe-to-toe with these alchemists, right? And go to toe-to-toe with Stone. And go to toe-to-toe with people like um, Ling and, um, you know, the, the essentially the Eastern Front in you know, the Elka history uh, people who's, you know, the, with, within the country of Shing, but, you know, all of that is within a certain context of power, but none of it, none of the show is because of the fights. You know what I mean? Like, the show has a ton of great fights, but, like, the writing is planned around that. The writing is planned around, you know, this this continual development of a variety of characters, and I think that's what it, what it does so well is you know introduce these static characters like 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 Hughes and and Barry and and other people like that. Um, Pure King Bradley. I mean, if you want to count him as a static character, I don't think he's developed as a character technically. There's just a side of him you don't know. Um, you know, there's a very angry side you don't know about. If you want to, you know, if you want to make that joke. <laughs> It's interesting. As soon as you mentioned that, I actually started thinking of the homunculi. Who do you think would be that a static character and a dynamic character? Well, I don't know if all the homunculi are static. No, they aren't. And I think yeah. there's two in particular that are uh, dynamic. Because the other homunculi are static. It's Those envy. In particular, greed and envy. Greed and envy, yeah. And envy obviously doesn't join the, the protagonist side. But I think one of the better parts of the show, which, you know, is jumped right into in the first 20 episodes, or the first 15, first 20 episodes, much like everything else, is, you know, Shing and Greedling, which is, you know, the combination of Greed and Ling. Also one of the best characters in all of anime. <laughs> On top of that, one of the best original soundtracks for a character ever is the Shingy's, um, God, what was it called? Oh, I'm going to blank on it. And I had it downloaded to my phone a while ago, and I probably shouldn't have because it was very illegal. But um, <laughs> I did one of those YouTube download things a while back just to get all these epic... Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, I haven't done that since, like, I want to say twenty. 20- 13, 2014? Yeah, exactly. That's when I did that. And I put that in like a workout playlist. But it was, um, you know, between between those two homunculi and characters, like Ling is a 
dynamic character. Reed is a dynamic character. But the little girl who's I'm just blanking on ton of names right now. I this is a struggle. You're talking about Meg? Not Lanfon. Lanfon is Wing's um, bodyguard. Bodyguard. Who also yeah. You're talking about Mei Chain. I'm talking about Meg, yeah. What a grouping of badass women. It's like in, in a show. You have Reza Hawkeye, right, who absolute badass. You have um you have Lan Fan. Armstrong. Don't forget the Armstrong family the name. Armstrong family. Um, uh, you know, General 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 no, no General Armstrong. Um Brig. Can't forget about Armstrong and Brig. Yeah. Yeah, Azumi, uh, um, Winry, you know, if you're talking about a show, like, if you're talking about a show that really gets it and, you know, has a, has a grouping of characters that a lot of different people can identify with, Full Metal Alchemist is one of those shows. Lanfan is a baller. She loses an arm, obviously, trying and to defend Link. Still manages to face off against you're King Bradley. Just think yeah. about that. Without yeah. an arm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and that's the best part about, like, the power scaling in the show, too, is, like, this girl is a bodyguard, and she loses an arm and is facing off against arguably one of the strongest characters in the show. I mean, you have Azumi, who did human transmutation, who, you know, obviously knows the truth of all alchemy. You know, Reza Hawkeye is an absolute sharpshooter. And General Armstrong is General Armstrong. I mean, she's... She's something else. Yeah, no, but, no one can uh, put words to uh, Oliver Mira Armstrong. Yeah, I think like you know, going back to that, just like the Ling stuff, like they introduce you know, obviously an Asian centric, you know, Asian centric backstory, or I want to say like background um, to the show, which is something that like, which is interesting to me because obviously most anime is like, okay, this is set in Japan. You know, but like this is a show that isn't set in Japan. It's based on you know German Anglo-Saxon Germanic people, and then they bring in a like an Asian-based culture, like the Shingis, right? And the Ishvalan, which you know Shingis Ishvalan. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they have these like these these Asian-based cultures, and I'm not using Middle East for reason because Middle East is for the most part in Asia as well. That it is. But, you know, I think, like, they do such a fantastic job with that. And then you got to throw in the fact that this this guy's trying to, like, Ling is trying to get, trying to live forever. And he comes in contact with Breed, who is, like, basically a creation of the man trying to take over the state. And he has no idea. <laughs> take over the state. Take over the world, too. Yeah, take over the world. Take over God, really. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I remember texting you about that, and I was like, let me get this straight. Ling wants immortality. Greed wants immortality. May wants, everybody wants immortality. And, and some people don't want to put the work in mm-hmm. when, when we talk about that. But when it's interesting you bring up Ling and, and Greed, because I thought, you know, it was uh, interesting pairing, you could say. On, on one hand, it had me questioning, like, would Lan Fan and Fu, who were sworn to protect Ling, and, and obviously were objecting to his deal that he made with Greed, it, it presents the situation of, like, him living long enough to become the villain, mm-hmm. and that he does. And, 
it's almost in a sense like for for what purpose and is it worth it yeah like is becoming the villain and losing your personality essentially worth it but i I mean later you find out he's strong enough to not lose his personality and you're like okay like this is this is fair this was a fair compromise um especially with what happens between the two of them true but we didn't know that going in i would say no no not at all but those it's they introduced like this whole other set of characters you know and i love the old man and he's a baller too like another person that basically food's got a food's got a, a serious mustache oh yeah be- best mustache in the show 100 percent. but who like king bradley must hate these people like king bradley definitely hates the people of shane because not only did the girl who's no more than 17 years old manage to face off against him without an arm, not only did Greed get taken over, like merged with Ling and Ling becoming a homunculi, essentially, and, and finding some immortality, but also Fu later in the show fights King Bradley to a standstill. It's like, oh, okay. I, I, I gotta say, like, mad props and respect to Fu. It is a shame that King Bradley sliced the end before it was able to ignite and essentially before Fu was able to go all full-on kamikaze. A mad prop to to take on King Bradley in that way. No, 100%. And, and, you know, like, when he cut those dynamite sticks, I was just in my head, I'm like, no. Like, give this, this, you're like, you're so close. It's not even going to kill King Bradley. He's bleeding. Got him on the rope. Got him give on. this to Fu, please. We haven't had a badass. Oh, it's in vain. No, it, it was ridiculous. I was so mad. I was like, no, Fu, you had it. You had it in the bag. You had the clutch shot. You took the shot. It was going to go in. Somebody made a mistake with the butt with the timer, and obviously the basket didn't count. So talk 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 about a free throw shoot, and then somehow the ball ends up in Jr. Smith's hand, and uh, that's <laughs> that way. Well, sure, but I think Fu's execution was a little bit better than the Cavs. <laughs> no, it was more so the outcome and reaction. You're just like, yeah. no, what are you doing? Like, why could this happen? Yeah, R.I.P. J.R. Smith's career after that happened. <laughs> um, but I think, like, you know, I, I like those, that first 15 episodes, super dynamic, right? You get a bunch of introductions, and then you go into the greater conspiracy of it all. You know, they start to talk a little bit about Edward and Alphonse's um, father, who's, you know, disappeared. They talk a lot about, you know, the introduction of the different homunculi and everything that's kind of lurking in the state government and the conspiracy that's going on. You know, they, they've introduced Zumi. They go through, you know, I kind of forget a little bit about the these middle episodes a, a little bit uh, just because... Are you talking about, like, when uh, Ed and Al are back in Resinville and um, he sees Hohenheim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously that's like his in or his port like his relationship with his father is important, especially because his father is to the bear story. But like, you know, Kimberly escaping as much as I like Kimberly as a character and as like a villain, I don't like him. I hate him, which is why 
how I like him as a villain. You know, this time Ed spends in Greed's belly with Envy, like all of it is important in uncovering the conspiracy, but really things start to kick off again when they really delve further into the Ishvalan Civil War in about episode 28 when he, uh, when they arrive at Father's Lair and like you start to really get into Father and like what all of that means to the greater story, how he was created, like the Ishvalan War of Extermination, what it means, why it yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. Thousands of years ago, Slave 23. Yeah. And so, you know, Xerxes and the Xerxes ruins, like why all of that happens. Um, I think like that's important and I, I like it all. They introduce pride, you know, they introduce Olivier, um, you know, they do a lot of, they do a lot of like, they do a lot of chess piecing, if that makes sense. Like, don't get me wrong. I think that the Kimberly stuff's important and, you know, and, and, and May is important and like everything that happens between the Xing and the Shing stuff and um, and greed and and whatnot, like, but and I feel like I'm I'm skipping over a couple of things. Oh yes, I am skipping over something extremely important. The you're talking about uh, what me? No, I am talking about Mustang killing lust. Oh, you mean a uh, little bit of this? A little bit of snappy snap. The snap master, you know, I think like, I think that is an extremely powerful scene. Not just because it's just fire, you know, snap after snap and fire after fire. And when he just happens to carve a transmutation circle on his hand. Yeah. And like that is the turn of Mustang as a soldier. I think Hughes is what started it, but getting revenge for Hughes is what completely turns his character from rigid mentor soldier figure to add an L into the future leader of the nation. Mm-hmm. And like an individual that understands the crimes he's committed on humanity and what he needs to do to redeem those, right? Like you don't, you know he has these ambitions like prior to this happening. But the way he is going to go about him and his interactions with Scar and his interactions with Ed and everything that happens with that, like, and him finally getting revenge on, on Lust is, and, and seeing all these homunculi and whatnot, like, almost losing Riza as well. Almost losing... Asking, asking her to, to go at that point, yes. And yeah. you see this, this dark side to him, in a way. In the spirit of Aaron, if I were to make a Star Wars reference, when Anakin finds out his mother has been killed. This isn't a Star Wars podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But go on. And slaughters just an entire village, women and children alike. You, You see that in Mustang and it's important because it does come up later but at the same time you're you are cheering him on in that moment mm-hmm. like you are ready for a homunculi to get burnt to a crit mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting because it, it it comes from a place of wanting justice for Hughes but also for Ed and Al to have some semblance of a fighting chance because at that stage in the story, I'm questioning, like, how really do you defeat a homunculus? 
Like how yeah. how do you kill a worm? Yeah, you need someone to show you the way. Indeed. Oh my gosh. For those who can't <laughs> see, well, that's everyone else but me. David pulled out a lighter for a zippo lighter. A zippo lighter? A zippo lighter. It is. It is indeed. Yeah, for that for that situation, and that's when you know he is definitely an anime guy because he knows what kind of props he needs to use at the exact moment. I, I'm telling you, after that moment, every time I heard that, oh yeah. man, goosebumps. I was like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm bring it. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, let's see the fire. Fire. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I, I think like watching a, a watching a, hum, a homunculi die, you're like, okay, there's a chance. Like greed merged with bling, you know, there's a chance to like merge with these beans, but you don't know if there's a way to kill them. And then Hohenheim appears, and you're like, okay. Hohenheim talks about how you know everything happened, and you know obviously tries to apologize to the kids, but he's a dead father who doesn't care about his family. And similar. Um, to what we see in, in Al just having this unconditional love for, for Hohenheim. Whereas yeah. Ed still has many unresolved things and, and a lot of unresolved conflict with his father. Rightfully so. Well, Ed was old enough to remember, like, to be angry about his father. I don't think Al was, you know. Like, Al was just a baby. Like, he was a toddler. Ed was like, I mean, he was close enough. What, 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 Ed and Al is like an age difference of one year or so? Yeah, but Ed was doing basic, like, alchemy. And yeah, okay, fair. And but they were Al trained had, at the same time with the Zumi and dropped off on yeah, that island yeah, sure, 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 at sure, the sure. same time. Sure, but when Hohenheim left, like, Ed was doing alchemy and Al was still getting some breast milk. Like, was, law of equivalent exchange. <laughs> the, the perfect equivalent exchange. No, it's not equivalent exchange. Having a child is the is the absence of equivalent exchange. But like, I think you know, introducing Hohenheim is important. You know, not as a foil to to Ed and Al, but just as like a greater character and what he means to the you know the overall plot. But um. I think pairing that with the, you know, philosopher stone conversations, like he is integral to what is going to happen, and he ends up he he ends up doing what he needs to do, but he's kind of t- he's a little bit touched over. I want to say, like I don't remember those up. Like I, I watched it twice, like three or four, not twice. I watched it three or four times all once recently, and those episodes still I like still gloss over it. You know, and it's not like I said, it's not that they're not important, but like the Ishvalan Civil War is important, meeting Hohenheim is important. I obviously love the show, mm-hmm. but I just don't remember those as well. I think it's just because nothing like well, part of it is okay, so you're talking like you know, understanding father's plans, recreating the gate of truth, yeah, and <clears throat> um, essentially, which was a, a bit of a surprise, like a, yeah. I would say, a plot twist in a way your isolating Mustang and then yep. transferring his staff all throughout Amestris. It was a, a bit of a, a reveal or like a show of hand that you were like, what? Like, what? Yeah, like, a lot of chess piecing going around. Right, Yeah. exactly. It a, it's yeah. strategic in a way because you think like, there's no way uh, in, in most conventional American series, the villain doesn't reveal themselves until the end or close to the end right yeah. 
But in this situation, you're seeing the story unfold on both fronts and this plot twist in a way where there's so much of the story left to be said, which is kind of surprising in a way. It, it, it creates for a richer dynamic the fact that like now Mustang really has to fall in line. Yeah, yeah. And he like has to understand that he can't dig deeper or else like, people will start to die. Like he has touched the conspiracy. He's like... Every conspiracy theorist ever, like, wants to be Mustang. They're like, I want to get to where he's at so that the government can throw my family and friends around and kind of force me to talk. Talk about being a whistleblower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like the epitome of whistleblowing, and nobody wants to listen. Yeah, it'd be like if uh, Edward Snowden just didn't become a household name. Yeah. It'd be like if Edward Snowden was, like, the vice president of the United States. <laughs> It was like, okay, so here's everything that's going on. And then the president's like, ah, actually, like, I'm going to fire you and ship you to the U.S. Virgin Islands. But. This is true. But this is uh, a good part because the way I would characterize the middle episodes after, you know, seeing certain events unfold is like just uh, some feelings of like despair and hopelessness. Yeah. Because especially mm-hmm. seeing um, Mustang isolated and then uh, seeing kind of this plot that's been doing for uh, like 400 years mm-hmm. of how immensely ill-prepared Ed and Al are for this battle. And it, it, it just it weighs on you. 100%. Absolutely. And you're like, how are they ever going to get through this as a group? Like, that is the hopelessness. That's definitely, like, outside of the hopelessness, literally for everything else. Like, we're never going to get Al's body back. Like, that hopelessness. Like, now they're onto a government conspiracy that is responsible for a, a mass genocide and, like, absolute control of resources in the country. And Scar finding out that NV triggered the Schwal Civil War. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I wanted to talk about that, actually. Conspiracy theory. Bush did 9-11. So, all Scar found out was jet fuel can't melt steel beams. But you know who can? Mustang. Mustang. (laughs) Just think about that for a second, okay? Just think about that. Jet fuel can't melt steel beams. But I know somebody that can. Except he doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Scar finds out that jet fuel can't can't melt steel beams, and that Bush did do 9/11, and that's responsible for the takeover and killing his, his people. But also, I thought it was interesting in like a World War One sense, where even though it wasn't a prince that died in the show, like the show's based on World War One times, and like it's a little kid that died. That triggers shot heard around the world yeah the shot heard around the world you know and so i thought like that was an interesting callback to that moment of time especially with what they like where it's set or, like what time period it would be set in, if it were you know modern modern history but that being said like obviously i didn't now have to deal with the ramifications of all that and the Really, all they want is to get Al's body back. And all this started, and they're delved into, like, Philosopher's Stone, are because they want to get Al's body back. And 
they wouldn't have had to get into all of this if Hohenheim just decided to tell them what and who he was. He could have gotten Al's body back. Could have done a lot more than just that. You know, maybe uh, taking care of Izumi? their mother. Not Izumi, their mother. Yeah. yeah. Maybe taking care of Izumi, too. I don't know. She had to lose a child for no good reason. Like, it wasn't, you know, no offense to the 100,000 souls that are trapped within, you know, Hohenheim. But, like, they got nothing oh, isn't left it, to isn't for. it like 500,000? Something like that. Hohenheim and, 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 father. and father. So a yeah. million souls. A million souls. No offense to the million souls that are stuck in these bodies. But you're saying that one or two souls wouldn't be willing to give themselves up for like Hohenheim's family, maybe a couple of old souls that are like, ah, you know, I've, I've been around long enough now. Like, I think, I'd like to think like he could have swung something, like at least asked. And, and like, if somebody said no, like, okay, let's figure out a different way, you know? But, uh, but yeah, I think like, you know, conspiracy, the conspiracy continues into, you know, the, the Northern Wall stuff, which by the way, um, John Snow lives there. Northern Wall of Briggs, and I think like those are good episodes, especially for fights. And you know, I love the Armstrong family in general. I think that you know Alex Louise Armstrong, and you know everything that happens with him is, is really important. But um, or Major Major Louise Major is it Alex Louise Armstrong? Feel these muscles and understand how they boast the truth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think like yeah, it is made reality. Um, gosh, it's been too long. Obviously, I remember a lot about the show, and I remember all the important stuff. But I can't remember people's names, and that's not just an anime thing. Or, or their titles. No, it's fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's not just an anime thing. I struggle with names. Well, speaking of which, what's your name again? Uh, yes, uh, my name is uh, Davin. Devon. Devonport University? Is that what she said? No, that's it. That might, that might dox you a little bit. Um, but, uh... Talk, talking about names, someone who doesn't have one, Scar. Scar doesn't have a name. Yeah, so, so this is where Scar starts to be a, not so force. much an anti-hero anymore, but just, like, a neutral force. Yeah, force for change. A force, a force for change. Vote for Scar. He'll do the thing, as in dismantle of people's faces. Um, but I think, like, you know, going through Sloss, building of the giant transportation circle, and what we know about the responsible war, um, how important that is to stopping, um, how, you know, Hohenheim and created the created the father, um, you know, the, the, uh, the little romantic stuff between Winnie and, you know, Edward. Best, best couple of all time. Steamy, steamy scenes. Steamy scenes, steam, steamy. But uh, at the same time, the teenagers also can be watching. So <laughs> that's a joke. But the the interesting part is like you hear Hohenheim created a a being, like brought a being into existence from his own blood. Yes, his, from his, his own master. Blood. His master <clears throat> wanted him to. Essentially, make that sacrifice, and lo and behold, we have what will eventually become father. Yeah. Just uh, uh stuck in a flash. In a way. So another message is humanity's continual 
attempt to defy what we perceive as God and how that bites us in the ass is like a is like a, a, a is like the human race. And I'm all for science. I'm a big science guy. You know, love science. You know, huge science guy. If I, if you gave me a physics book, you know, the physics book is my favorite book of all time. I especially love chapters. The bad joke. It's a joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't ask me what my favorite passages are because I won't be able to tell you because it's very personal to me. And but I'm a huge science guy. Um, nice, nice uh, Trump reference there. Yeah, I knew you would like that. But um, you know, creating a being like creating an entirely different entity is impossible. Is like nearly impossible. You know, and he does something that's impossible, and he doesn't know what he's doing. So which is one of the things that humanity does best is create something that they don't know what they create. Like the atomic bomb, you know, as a recent example. Like very good um, example. I wrote an entire paper on how mass producing rifling of of muskets in the Civil War like started the medical, like medical supplies and medical technology boom. Um, and like it, it obviously it changed warfare. Like people were dying in the alarming rate, and that changed how we perceive medicine, you know, as as a as a country. And so I think like I think that was you know that's one of those things where like you just don't know what you're getting yourself into, and this is a 400 year process. But Owenheim being the absentee, like not only father but you know, protagonist, if you want to say, of his own story, just doesn't know how to finish it. Just doesn't know what to do. And Ed and Al having to deal with the ramifications that of that is saddening because much like if McDougal had taken out Central when he had the chance, a lot of this would have been prevented if Hohenheim just bucked up and stayed home. Would would it have though? Because McDougal, you know, didn't seem to be all that powerful. I don't know, man. Like those ice things were getting people pretty messed up. Like the Mustang and, and uh, Armstrong. Sure, like, oh, sure. Man, this they, is gonna. They, they were giving Mustang and Armstrong mm-hmm. a run for the money, but like he was gonna free Central. Well, everything below Central is where the action is. You freezing the top part of Central, you know? Yeah, but what does cold air do? <laughs> it works down. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not how the force works. Wait, this isn't a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> no, it's, it's just like think think of how quickly Sir Bradley, Sir King Bradley, was able to just take him out, and and it was in a swift motion. Yeah, yeah. No, I no, I know what you mean. Then, like, it's he had like a chance, and he just if, if anyone was going to uh, take out Central single handedly, long time. True. Lanfan could have really just ended it on her own. Like so many, so yeah, so many different stuff. Um, so I do want to finish up the plot a little bit because we are running out of time. Um, no, but I think like there's so much packed in the show that I forget how important it is to touch on every, like everything that. It, it's extremely hard to like condense in one episode of a podcast. You know, like I mentioned before, you could have a whole podcast, like a whole series. But we're going to do it. <laughs> That's we're, we're the whole point. The same way Ed and Al wanted to transmute their mother. Yeah. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. So what I did want to finish with is, you know, just going over the last bit of plot here. 
you know, Hohenheimkrieg's uh, father, you know, everything starts to fall apart a little bit for the homunculi. So they start to get desperate. You know, the plot within the government is starting to be exposed. So Rap, who is a homunculus, is also Fuhrer King Bradley. So he starts to get desperate. And then a coup d'etat officially starts. And that's where the end game, we are now in the end game. And you know, you have your, your Shingines, you know, group that's trying to help based on their need for philosopher stones, as well as their new, like, their now relationship with the main characters and crew. You have Scar, who wants to get revenge, obviously, on Central, but understands that the people that are work that he's been working against in recent history are not the people he needs to be fighting, like, at an L and, and whatnot. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time to be fighting Scar. They weren't um, even involved in the Ishval Civil War. No, right. but like even with Mustang, he is now in the point of redeeming himself and seeks to redeem the state government and like everything that has happened in the Ishvalan Civil War once he becomes here. And so that is all accumulating into one point, which is the coup. And that is where you get a lot of badass fights. And I love it. And some of the best OSTs come from that section. You know, you have your Fu and Lanfan and Ling fights with, with, the, with King Bradley. You have your fights with Pride, which we kind of glanced over. But, you know, he is a shadow, so I guess it's fair. You know, Envy plays an integral role in just everything that happens and kind of just being a wild card at any point. Um, Lust is obviously dead, so that doesn't matter. I think Gluttony is gone at this point. Yes, uh, Pride consumes Gluttony. Yes, and um, Sloth has been taken care of by in the movie. So, you know, everything is... uh, You mean mean, uh, when uh, Armstrong? Yeah. Olivier and Armstrong are fighting Sloth? Yeah. The fastest homunculi, but also the slowest homunculi. Yeah, weird. I think like all of that is some of the best scenes in anime. But for me, what really hits home is the end. And I don't mean to skip all the way to the end, but I, I think it's something that we need to touch on. And the decision when Ed meets God and how, you know, quote unquote God, how God describes themselves to Ed. You know, I am one, I am all, I like, I see all, I know all. All is one, one is all. Yeah, all is one, one is all. And I like the idea in this show, especially, which obviously gives you a lot of, you know, variation in, in culture and race and gender and, and different good characters that a lot of people can identify with. God not being a man, but just being what it is, is perfect. And just a being, just, just a being, just a thing. They are a thing that exists. They look kind of human, but they're not. It is basically just a no-eyes blank figure with a smile. It is one of the creepier interpretations of God I've ever seen, but it's perfect. And the philosophy behind how they talk to Ed about what Ed needs to do to get Al's body back and the decline and the win is is perfect. Oh, I, it, it's it's such it, it sticks true to the idea of equivalent exchange, but more so to the extent of what would you be willing to sacrifice? Yeah, like how are everything? you going to give up your ego? You know, and that's like a central point in meditation is like giving up your sense of ego, and that's just another thing they touch on. You know, and I know like you definitely have thoughts on that as well. 
It, it's such a like interesting and ending in, in that regard that was so moving to that extent. I remember when I was around episode nine and, and I was texting you and I was developing these theories of Hohenheim and the situation with his father and you were trying not to give away any spoilers, but how far off I was from the, yeah. like you have no idea, but yes, technically it is Hohenheim. And the father, they're one and the same. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's funny. Yes, but no. How it's funny how far away or how like you could say micro I was thinking and what it really was. Like take whatever you're thinking and imagining and just completely obliterate it because it's not what you would expect. And with the ending. Um, to that extent, I, we were always asking ourselves when Ed would get back to the Gateway of Truth, how would he bring back Alphonse with him? How would that work? And and I, I was beginning to wonder if it would be a situation the way that Hohenheim sacrificed himself when Father essentially just exuded all of this energy through a blast, if Ed would do the same and, and sacrifice, make that ultimate sacrifice for Alphonse. Yeah. But, but it was such a, a, a unique and beautiful way in, in creating that situation. Yeah, and him, like seeing him make that decision and his confidence in the decision and what he, he knows what it means for the rest of his life and he's okay with it because he knows, he kind of knows what the rest of his life is going to be like once it's all said and done. Like he's already come to grips with the fact that like he knows he kind of, he knows he wants to like marry Wendy. Like you, you know, he's already thinking about that. Like that's already on his mind when he gives it up. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to be fine. Like I got the best girl. Like it's going to be okay. You know, like my brother is going to be able to pursue his own life because of this sacrifice I'm gonna make and everything that I've done is to this point so why not give it up and and it's not just that it's like even before that he Ed regrets using the philosopher's stone yeah. to bring him back to life yeah and oh regrets it, for Alphonse no no Ed rejects using the oh yeah yeah once Alphonse makes the sacrifice because once they uh, know what it, it means once they know what goes into making the philosopher's stone this is true to use to use souls in that way, but it's but it's interesting because Alphonse did use the Philosopher's Stone when facing off against uh, Pride and Kimberly. Did he have a choice? In in, in the like I, I remember that specifically because like I know he comes like he struggles with that, but he you you can't do anything to get those souls back. You know what I mean? Like it's or they've already been used to create the philosopher's stone. So I don't. I think like as much as I, as much as you know that Alan hates it. Like in order to beat these two people who will create more if they aren't dealt with, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like he has to make the necessary evil and using something that goes against his moral compass. This is true, and it's one of the things that like you know I admire Ed's conviction and virtue for not doing that especially in that instance when, you know, he wants to bring Alphonse back. Yeah. But I just, I, I, I wonder, you know, how and, and why to that extent. Because yeah. there's so many instances in which, like, Ed also had access to a Philosopher's Stone. And if, you know, maybe, maybe it would have involved 
involves taking care of Emily sooner. Maybe it would involve being able to destroy, using a philosopher's stone to destroy the other homunculi. Yeah. Like, that would have made a huge difference and a lot less people would have had to have suffered. Yeah. But, you know, this is, this is where, like, you see people tested and, and their strong conviction. No, I mean, that's, a, that's an excellent point. You know, I think, I think being tested is like the essence of what we are as humanity. Not to get super, we, I mean, we've gone super deep into this, but it's kind of a super deep anime in general, in terms of like, not just being fight, fight this, fight that, here we go. It's, it's existential. Yeah, it is. It's super existential. And it's not even the most existential show that I've watched. I mean, if you want a recommendation, I mean, Cowboy Bebop is pretty existential. Uh, Neon Genesis of Evangelion or Evangelion is also existential. Um, you would like Code Geass, but that's less Anyway, so as a whole, I mean, we've talked a lot about plot. We've talked a lot about character development, you know, tying those two in together. I, my, I give a score for shows based on five things. Plot, music, animation, character development and an extra point based on personal enjoyment, right? Um, that makes up a total of 10 points. So uh, out of 10, effectively. Between character development and plot, there's seven, for me, there's seven points. I don't know how you rank shows, like both live action and non-live, like and anime and whatnot, but I would probably give this a seven out of character development out of seven points, like a perfect score. I would, I would agree with that uh, notion. I think plot and character development are crucial. No. And, that, and I'm all about... Did um, you say that... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you say I agree with that motion or that notion? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you said I agree <laughs> with that motion. All right. <laughs> we There's a, been a couple of these. Good sense. Dave and I know each other because of Model United Nations, which we didn't talk about, which is arguably the nerdiest thing that is between us outside of, you know, literally everything else. And you put emotion on the floor and, you know, you spend a lot of time agreeing with motions. And okay. so, so, yeah. So David, in this situation, you know, I would like to create a motion that Full Metal Alchemist deserves a seven out of seven for plot and character development. Would you second that motion? I do second that motion. Motion has been seconded. Uh, we will move on to music, which is one of the things that I think is missing from, it's not as good in shows like Avatar and whatnot, but it, it's not necessary there as much as it is in anime. Music and soundtrack is an integral part to whether or not an anime is good to me. It separates the best shows from, you know, lower tier shows. So I think between the openings, between the, you know, between between the OSTs, I think like, you know, fight scene music, I would give all of it's orchestrated, you know, all of it's situational based, you know, you have your happy soundtracks, you have your sad soundtracks, you know, the soundtracks that play when Ed and Al are going to, to Resinbool to visit Winry and, uh, and her grandmother and, you know, soundtracks that play where Boo is fighting King Bradley and, and, and Mustang is, you know, destroying lust. Like, all of it is integral to the story. To me, it's perfect. I I agree. And, and, I, I, and I'm all for scores and, and soundtrack. Um, I, I think, like, I'll, I'll save my main point for when we get to our next uh, factor for scoring when we talk about the animation, because I I do think uh, scores are important, but I I tend to lean on the side of having more significance 
or a point value for animation because I think that's a pretty integral part of uh, any anime that you watch. Mm-hmm. Granted, there are some um, like styles of animation that are more desirable or just easy on the eyes compared to others. That's why I think I I almost want to say because um, I know you distinguish plot and character development differently. I'd almost take a point from them and give another point to animation. So making plot and character development at three and three. Oh, so you're and saying two. like a total of six points for plot and character development and giving two allocated points to animation? Yeah. And, okay. and you can probably speak better to this than I can because I haven't watched much anime. True. Talking about the tier and quality of the animation itself. Okay. So there's a difference between good animation and clean animation. So, you know, obviously animation gets better over time, right? So like newer shows have good animation, but not all, it's not clean all the time. It's not, you know. Clone Wars season seven, although this uh, is not a Star Wars podcast. An example I would use is Naruto. Naruto has good animation, but a lot of the time gets lazy and isn't clean because they're producing episodes every week instead of like, and, and have 700 episodes, you know, Boruto. Good animation when it wants to. Top tier animation when it really wants to. One of the best fights of all time is in that show. It has the best animation of anybody, but gets lazy at other times. This is one of those shows that does. And so since it was made earlier on in, in the 2009, 2011, well, 2009 and 2011, it has very clean animation and it's good, especially for its time. So I think like, I think it gets the maximum amount of points that should, you know, but you are giving it two, or you're allocating two points to animation and you find that's more important. So I'm curious on what you feel this. Well, in a way, the way you describe it is, I would use that as an argument to my own point. One point for good animation, one point for clean animation. Mm -hmm. Two points for good and clean, (laughs) you know? Okay. Okay. No, I think that's fair. I think, uh, I mean, obviously you can rank anime any way you want to, and you still have yet to watch any other shows, so you're going to need to do that and start to develop more of a a, a background, but, you know, I I think, like, you're onto something with animation. It is anime, so animation should be important. Um, I I think it'd be a good... uh like side conversation or bonus episode, you could say, a roundtable when people talk about animation. Because I think there are other listeners or other hosts you may have on that may may agree with me on, on the animation. Yeah, 100%. I think that there are a lot of people that will. I just find that for me, music is more important than animation. So I, but I get rank them similarly. The last thing is, is like, I put a point into extrinsic. So I think like if there's a show or it's an arbitrary amount of points, I should say, right? If the show is a 10 out of 10, I'm just going to give it one point because that's, is, well, that's only as much as I'm going to go. Like I'm not going to go over 10, like there's no point. But there's a show, like a show like High School of the Dead, which is a terrible show in general with like a one and a half plot and like music is, is a fourth of a point. Character development is less than three points. But... Um, I give it an extra two points just because it's on And so it gets a seven instead of like a six or a five, even though that's really weird to. But I don't need to do that for, for, for Full Metal because it doesn't need the help because then I would just go over 10. 
it's funny you describe it in that way because it's it's kind of everybody has shows or series that they watch that is really more for pleasure than it is for content. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> From a certain point of view. Uh, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, you could say from a certain point of view. Um, it's, that's not what it is. <laughs> it's definitely not what it is, but that's funny. Anyway, I think I think we've covered a lot that we need to cover. You know, I've, obviously, we, going through the plot of Full Metal Alchemist, bit by bit, is going to take more than one episode, but I appreciate you doing it with me in these two hours. I, I'd like to thank you for doing this. I mean, I wanted to get somebody. I think this is perfect for the first episode of a podcast. You're new into anime. You've watched one, arguably the best anime that has ever been made as your first one, like all the way through, I should say. You did touch on the Naruto and the Dragon Ball Z, you know, background, but I, it didn't sound like you watched those all the way through. So I think that this is your first true one. And I think... Yeah. You know, I think it's perfect. I think I think that fits the narrative, and I like having a variety of my goals to have a variety of you know backgrounds and opinions and, and you know viewership on on anime. And I, I hope that once you get further down the line and watch shows that I recommend outside of Cowboy Bebop, that we can have you back out in the near future. I I hope so as well. And uh, seeing as we aren't going anywhere with uh, coronavirus, I. I'll have time to enjoy more quality shows, but I, like I do appreciate Hunter uh, Hunter Hunter. Hunter. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do appreciate being a part of this conversation and as somebody who is honestly an amateur in this being thought of to initiate and, and start that conversation for this podcast. It's I'm, I'm honored. And it was a lot of fun to be able to relive Full Metal. Um, it, it, all it makes me want to do is rewatch it. Now I know I got other anime to watch, but I, you know, stemming from this conversation, all, all I want to do is is rewatch it. And and I think that really speaks to the quality and the story itself. So to those of you listening who maybe you've seen Full Metal, maybe you. Uh, haven't or maybe you've seen it a couple times it's worth another rewatch and that's then you have it that's a, that's all you got to know is it's worth it's worth a watch it's worth a rewatch as per the anime expert and longtime anime viewer david <laughs> all right once, once you've seen one you've seen it all you've all exactly yeah i mean <laughs> if you've watched the best then it can't get any better than that except it can from a certain point of view all right, man. It's been a pleasure. I, I appreciate you, David. Uh, I'll talk to you soon.